When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. The botanical-style aquarium movement has really begun to evolve. It's been really interesting for me to see the fine work of so many hobbyists really pushing out the envelope a bit. And one of the things you might have noticed lately is that we're looking at more and more ways to create realistic, functional, and aesthetically unique aquariums. It's not just about having you know, a large selection of botanical materials available for people and, you know, people using all kinds of cool stuff. It's about experimenting with them and other tangential natural materials to help recreate some of the aspects of the natural habitats that we admire so much. That's like the real mission here. Um, One of those things is substrates, for example. As you know by now, we've been developing, and it seems like forever, I know, a line of substrates designed to help you experiment at recreating various types of aquatic habitats, like the Agapo and Varzea of South America, among others. And when you develop new products like substrates, you have to consider how the end users will embrace them, or if they'll embrace them, and how they'll apply them to their work. Inevitably, there's questions. The genesis for today's piece was a message that we received from a member of our community who was curious about some interesting aspects of botanicals and our substrates, specifically about their CEC factor, something which aquatic plant fans consider when evaluating substrates for growing their plants. What is CEC? It's Keishan exchange capacity. It's the ability of a material to absorb positively charged nutrient ions. This means the subject will hold nutrients and make them available for the plant roots and therefore plant growth. CEC measures the amount of nutrients or more specifically positively charged ions which a substrate can hold onto or store for future use by aquatic plants for their growth. Thus, a high CEC is important to many aquatic plant enthusiasts in their work. While it means that the substrate will hold nutrients and make them available for the plant roots, however, it doesn't indicate the amount of nutrients in substrate, you know, the substrate contains. So, for reference, scientists measure cation ion exchange in mill equivalents per 100 grams. To really get down and dirty to analyze substrate scientifically, CEC determinations are often done by a process called Method 901A of EPA SW86 very complicated way of saying they use a certain technique. They're also often analyzed by inductively coupled plasma optically emission, optically, I forgot the word, OES is optically emission spectromic, optical emission spectroscopy or something like that. So anyway, ICP OES is the abbreviation and it's sophisticated, expensive equipment. So it's not something hobbyists can readily replicate, whatever you call it. <laughs> and uh, as you might suspect, CEC varies widely among different materials. Sand, for instance, has a CEC less than one mill equivalent per 100 grams. Clays tend to be over 30 mill equivalent per 100 grams. Stuff like natural zeolites are around 100 mill equivalents per 100 gram. That's pretty heavy. Soils and humus may have CEC up to 250 mill equivalents per 100 grams. That's pretty serious stuff. Now, what nutrients are we talking about here? Well, the, the, the usual suspects, the most common ones that come into play in the context of CEC are things like iron, potassium, calcium, and magnesium, stuff that makes plants grow. So high CEC is a really big, important thing if you're into plants. 
Of course, this is where the questions arise about the substrates we're playing with. It makes sense, I get it. Now, our nature-based substrates that we're going to release soon do contain materials like clays and silts, which could arguably be considered higher CEC materials because they're really fine, and because higher surface area generally results in a higher CEC. The more surface area there is, the more potential bonding sites there are for the exchange to take place. Alas, nothing's ever exactly what we hope it should be in this hobby, and clays are often not all that high in their CEC ratings. Now, the nature-based substrates are what we like to call sedimented substrates because they're not just sand or pellets of fired clays or whatever. They're a mix of materials, and they do have some soils in the mix too, which are likely higher in CEC. Promising from a CEC standpoint, I suppose. However, again, they were really not created to replicate, uh, you know, they're not, not designed to create a aquatic plant sand or aquatic plant substrate. They were really created to replicate the substrate materials that you find in the Agapo and Varzea habits of, habitats of South America and the overall habitat, sort of more holistically conceived, not specifically for plant growth. And in terrestrial environments like the seasonally, you know, seasonally inundated in Agapo and the Varzea habitats, nutrients are often lost to volatilization, leaching, erosion, and even runoff. So it's important for me to make it clear, again, that these substrates are more representative of terrestrial soil and are not specifically formulated to grow aquatic plants luxuriously. The decomposition of detritus and leaves and such in our botanical-style aquariums and urban agapo displays is likely an even larger source of stored nutrients than the CEC of the substrate itself, in my opinion. An added benefit of these types of substrates is that they will provide a home for beneficial bacteria, breaking down organics and helping make them more available for plant growth. It kind of works all together. That being said, the stuff does grow aquatic and riparian plants and grasses pretty well in my experience. Yet I would not specifically refer to them as aquatic plant substrates. They're not being released or challenged or replaced the well-established aquatic plant soils out there. They're not even intended to be compared to them. By the way, that phone in the background is one of the perils of recording in the uh, facility, so I'm sorry about that. It means I should be answering the phone as opposed to just doing this recording, but, you know, this is more important. So remember, our substrates are intended to start out life as terrestrial materials, gradually being inundated as we bring on the wet season. And because of the clay and sediment content of these substrates, you'll see some turbidity or cloudiness in the water. It won't immediately be crystal clear, just like in nature, though. And no, we haven't done CEC testing with our substrates. We just don't have the resources for that right now, but it's likely that in some future enthusiastic and curious scientist hobbyists might just do that, of course. And that would be really interesting to us to see once and for all if these are, these are you know, what their, what their CEC you know, reading is, if that's even important. I can't stress it enough again. With our emphasis on the holistic application of our substrate, our focus is on the big picture, not specifically aquatic plant growth. Yet, hobbyists being hobbyists, I'm sure that they'll evaluate them based on this ability, so I felt that I at least should, you know, address this at this juncture. High CEC certainly can help grow aquatic plants in these or other substrates. However, it's important to note that it's only a small component of nutrient availability for the plants. And of course, if we go back to the idea of CEC being a measure of material to po absorb positively charged nutrient ions, the question comes full circle to, do botanicals themselves have CEC capabilities? The answer is, wait for it, I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, the postulating non-scientist in me can't help but wonder, however, much like loam or humus, if these plant-derived materials have this unique ability. I mean, we talk about botanicals and leaf litter beds as attachment points for biofilms, fungal growth, and other organisms, so it makes sense to at least postulate that they have the capacity to sequester some nutrients as they break down, right? I think it does. 
I mean, at the very least, we've played around with the idea that decomposing leaves and such, you know, comprises sort of aquatic mulch for plant growth. And mulch, by definition, is material like decaying leaves, bark, or compost spread around or over a plant to enrich or insulate the soil. You know, what works in the garden likely works in the aquarium in the context of substrate enrichment, right? I think so. I think the possibility of utilizing botanicals along with specialized substrates as a means to grow plants and enrich the overall aquarium ecosystem on many levels is simply too irresistible to overlook. Indeed, botanicals are a sort of substrate in and of themselves, and that's something that could be quite interesting to look at. The body of experience that we as hobbyists are accumulating with botanical-style aquariums is not only resulting in greater understandings and refinements of techniques in our sector, it's trickling back to other sectors of the hobby, like the aforementioned aquatic plant hobby. And of course, for facilitating and you know elevating the idea of the urban agapo, a transitional aquatic terrestrial habitat replication, something that's seldom been done before in the hobby, this is where it's at. And we couldn't be more excited to see all that. Remember, the substrate that you stick with in your aquatic display can have a profound and important impact on the diversity, health, and stability for many years to come. Here's to some exciting new experimentation. I look forward to seeing what you're coming up with. Stay excited, stay curious, stay observant, stay diligent, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.